It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. In New York City tonight, a major scandal for the nation's largest police force. A dozen cops so far accused of shaking down drug dealers. And officials say this is just the beginning of a new crackdown on corrupt cops. Nine New York City cops in- it was after a 4 to 12, and we were in a bar in the Bronx telling the bartender to put the TV on, and you see all the guys getting let out, and it was like, holy crap. The arrested officers were paraded before the press something that is rarely done in New York City. The police commissioner says there will be... It was no like, holy God, these are the guys I partied with. These are the guys I fought with. These are the guys who saved me from battling bad guys. And now these guys are considered the bad guys. And it's expected more New York City police officers will have their shields taken away. As Officer Joe Walsh takes in the news, he has one overriding feeling Fear. You're worried about, you know, a guy's going to flip or turn you in, and, you know, 10,000 things are going through your mind, and it's like, am I safe? Am I not safe? At that point, it was like, you know, who's next? We always told each other, we're not going to talk. If we get arrested, everybody will look out for one another. But the reality is, Even though these guys are my brothers, we did everything together, it's every man for himself. The city's newly appointed police commissioner was at the precinct house when the accused officers had their shields taken away. At police headquarters, Commissioner Bratton would not... Barry Brown watches the news that night as well. They were showing these officers that I had worked with being taken out in handcuffs. It was just mind-blowing that finally something had happened. It felt really good that these officers were finally arrested. Yet at the same time, it had this bittersweet feeling that you're seeing police officers, guys that I knew, guys that I work with, being taken out in handcuffs. It was hard seeing it and seeing you know the emotions on the faces of these officers going out. I realized that a lot of cops were going to jail Their lives were ruined, and it was was just a lot to take in. I never second-guessed myself because I knew that I did the right thing, and I knew the things that they did, stealing guns and drugs, selling kilos of cocaine. I mean, there were some serious, serious crimes that these guys were committing. 
So I didn't feel bad for what I did, but it was the end of a very hard time and a hard, difficult situation that I was involved in. I thought at that moment in time, it was over. Um, little did I know it was just the beginning. This is a story everybody's chasing. Even with the tension and the battles between various players here, this story did not break until we made the arrests in April 1994. The desire on my part was how do I use this crisis as an opportunity to assert that there's a new sheriff in town. You're going out on fucking patrol. What are we gonna do tonight? Well, we're gonna rob some drug dealers and uh, I know how to do it. And I know how to do it really well. They put in what is called a 57. A 57 in police lingo is a request for transfer. I did not want to stay in the 3-0, but then I never heard anything from it. Then every day I get broken down a little more, a little more, a little more. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm Zach Levitt, and this is The Set. Episode 9, A River of Shit. It's April 15th, 1994. A press conference is about to begin at the offices of the Southern District of New York to address the previous night's arrests of a dozen 30th Precinct officers. It's supposed to be the announcement of an extremely successful joint investigation between SDNY, the Mullen Commission, and the DA's office. But the press doesn't know anything about the turf war that's been going on behind the scenes. Assistant U.S. Attorney Michael Horowitz. There clearly was ill will between the Mullen Commission and the DA's office. I was standing on the side along with others. And not only were there no smiles on Bob Morgenthau or Milt Mullen's face, you could feel the tension in the room. They weren't willing to stand next to each other. Frankly, if they had, I'm not sure what could have happened on, on live TV. The room is packed, and U.S. Attorney Mary Jo White takes the podium. These defendants from the 30th Precinct have disgraced their fellow officers by engaging in a pattern of corrupt actions. The types of corruption charged include shaking down drug dealers, stealing drugs and money from investigation sites. There was sort of this hissing behind me, which I gather was some exchange of words between Bob Morgenthau and Milt Mollett. I don't recall what the words were, but they were hostile. Like, what the is going on behind me at this press conference? I mean, if you can't get it together when you're in front of the cameras, it's a telltale sign. Milton Mollen and Robert Morgenthau are jockeying with each other for position. NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton is on the stage with them. You may recall Trump when he went to Europe for the first time that uh, they were marching out on the stage and he actually takes one of the other presidents and pushes him aside <laughs> to get ahead of him. The guys have stellar reputations that were the epitome of integrity. But boy, they did not like each other. 
These turf battles are, are not pretty and, and they don't shine a good light on any of us, but they exist. It's enormously frustrating, particularly when you're in an investigation as important as the 30th Precinct was, because even under perfect conditions, it's extraordinarily difficult to do and do successfully in every way. And to have that extra element of I've got to deal with these egos so that they don't diminish what you need to do, that's very frustrating. Commissioner Bratton approaches the microphone, holding the tarnished badges of the arrested officers. When a New York City police officer takes the oath of office to protect and serve and to uphold the Constitution, they are also given a shield. The shield has the symbolism of giving them the power of the law, the protection of the law. The officers arrested last evening and this morning use their shields, not for protection, but as weapons, to punish, to brutalize, to steal, to rob, and to cheat. To the media, the press conference represents the end of a long investigation into the 30th Precinct. But to Michael Horowitz, the case isn't closed. Far from it. The next day, I'm talking with Mary Jo White and saying, I got a lot of evidence the night before. I got all these cops who talked to me and flipped and want to cooperate. We had enough to keep going. We now knew about Nannery's Raiders, and we knew that we needed to get Sergeant Nannery because he was the training sergeant for the precinct. You can't leave the training sergeant in place to train future new officers. But to keep the investigation going and find out how deep the corruption has spread, Arwitz needs the blessing of the police department. The NYPT wanted it shut down. Shut it down. You got your headlines, you got 12 arrests, Mullen Commission's got their headlines. Great case, great work, ended. So Mary Jo White went and spoke with Bill Bratton, and over the objections of, I think it's fair to say, literally every single person in the police department advising him, to his credit, he said, this case is going to keep going. I'm not having these corrupt officers continue to be in this police department. Every tabloid in New York and every television station in New York, this is the headline news. Who's going to talk? Well, we wired up Mike Walsh, who had flipped. And he went out and spoke to Blake Stroller. Blake Stroller is Mike Walsh's old partner. Walsh was the one who told Alberto Vargas about the time Stroller lied on the witness stand in court. He's a fucking liar. He lied about everything. He concocted this story. And Walsh was with Stroller when they stole a duffel bag filled with $150,000 in cash. Now, Mike Walsh's face is on the cover of all three tabloid newspapers in the city. 
but he's still able to record a conversation with Stroller. And remarkably, we get more evidence. We get more information. And it results in the situation where we go out and do the same drill with Blake Stroller. And he cooperates. Hey. How are you? Good. Sorry I couldn't talk more last night. Thanks for calling me back. I'm here again talking about this shit, man. It's like after fucking 30 some odd years, you would think that like, you got you to get over it. But apparently not. You heard part of this conversation at the very beginning of episode one. Blake Stroller and I had spoken a few times prior to this phone call including the day before. I actually grew up in Harlem. I kid you not. And it was so funny that, like, years later, I end up in the same fucking precinct as a cop, talking to people that I saw, and I go, what happened to this guy? What a, oh, he's dead, he's a familiar... He fucking went to jail, and I was like, Jesus Christ, and now I'm here as a fucking cop. So do you still talk to any of these guys? I do. Yeah, I do. I I, I do talk to fucking Joe Walsh and Henry's yeah. Raiders, you know? Yeah, yeah. They worked the 412s, and I used to tell them, get the fuck out of my sector. Don't fucking be ripping off the drug dealers that I fucking make a living off. Do you still talk yeah. to Mike? Mike who? You don't talk to no. Mike Walsh at all. No, right? no, no, no. I, I, I can't find the guy because I want to fucking kill him. Not literally, but like I fucking hate his guts. The reason this whole fucking case went down, right? I, I was talking to a cop. His brother was in internal affairs and he goes, Blake, Blake, listen to me. Alvarez is wearing a fucking wire. I said, oh, shit, shit. I said, Mike, Mike Walsh. I said, you gotta fucking listen to me, man. This guy's wearing a fucking wire. No, no, he's not. You're full of shit. I go, what? Mike, listen to me, you cocky motherfucker. Listen to me. He's wearing a fucking wire. So a couple of weeks go by and he goes, Blake, I think you're right. I think you're right. So they, him and his new partner confronted him right. in this fucking station house. Go for his wire and Alvarez pulls out his fucking gun and shoots my, my ex-partner's partner in the fucking leg. Just after the first round of arrests, Stroller is secretly busted and agrees to cooperate. A few weeks later, the New York Times announces that Stroller and 10 others have been put on desk duty as they await impending charges. Stroller told me in an earlier conversation that this was the most difficult time of his life, waiting to find out what would happen to him. And veteran cop Steve Lasky was found dead in his car, parked at a cemetery. 
It was during this time that one of the other officers tragically took his own life. Now, almost 30 years later, Stroller was still struggling to process his time in the 3-0. You know what, Zach? It was something that I loved. I loved being that dirty motherfucker. I, 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 I can't explain it, man. It was like fucking, I did so well at it. It was like, and I think about it now, and I say, why? Why? Why do you fucking think that was fucking good? Back then, I thought it was fucking good. I was like fucking proud of it. You know, and I was like, I, I kind of like this, man. I kind of like being that guy, you know? Now I look at it in retrospect and I say to myself, you're a fucking asshole. What the fuck were you thinking? I'm not a bad guy, man. I fucking made a mistake and I fucking went down a fucking wrong fucking path and I'm not a bad guy. I mean, it's it just, I, I, I took off with it and I, shouldn't have done what I did but I did this conversation with Blake Stroller was one of the most disorienting I've ever had he said he loved being dirty but that he's not a bad guy and the emotion in his voice made both things seem believable at the same time I knew from the criminal justice and policing experts I'd spoken with that very few cops come onto the job looking to be dirty. That exposure to corruption and the incredible pressure not to rat are usually the things that set cops down that slippery slope. But listening to Stroller made me unsure of everything I'd heard. He said that he was ready to discuss it, though, and to finally tell his full story in his own words. And I was hoping to come away with a little more understanding on whether the good cop, bad cop question is so black and white. So, I mean, Zach, I mean, literally, the story should be told. I'm on board, Zach. I'm, I'm on board. I want to meet you. Likewise. I, I absolutely want people to see me for who I was back then. Why don't we link up on Monday? All right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm good with that. A few days after this call, Blake and I met face-to-face for lunch at a sushi restaurant near his home on Long Island. We sat and talked for close to three hours. He didn't show the bravado he did on our phone call. Instead, He seemed crippled with shame. He said he wished he was never sent to the 3-0 and that he never took that first $50. He was angry with the supervisors who encouraged him to keep silent while being corrupt themselves for the culture they helped to create and did nothing to stop. But he didn't make any excuses for himself or his actions. 
We finished up and made plans to do a series of formal interviews. And then I didn't hear back from Blake. I called and texted several times to check in on him, but I got no response. And then a month later, on a Saturday afternoon, I missed two phone calls and a text message from an unknown number asking to talk. It was Blake's wife. She'd seen my texts on his phone, and when we spoke, she told me that after Blake and I had lunch, he came back home, and that very same night, he passed away in his sleep. Blake Stroller was 56 years old. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hi, this is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts. The team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Blake Stroller, before he was arrested, I was talking to him outside across the street from the precinct, and he says he just put money down for an attorney because he heard that he was going to be locked up. So he put money down. He goes, you should do it too. Everybody, you know, should just do it just in case. Now it's like, wow, holy crap. Nannery's Raider, Joe Walsh, watches another wave of 30th Precinct officers, which included Blake Stroller, get their guns and badges taken away, while criminal charges are pursued. The nation's police departments are under more pressure than ever. And while the vast majority of the men and women on the thin blue line are holding the line, there are some who cross to the criminal side. They've already arrested 14 policemen and expect to arrest... When this news piece airs, it shows visuals from inside the 30th Precinct station house. And right there answering the phones at the desk, still on the job, is Joe Walsh. After the second wave, when I didn't get it, I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. I mean, bad for everybody else, but I'm like, this is fucking great. It really is great. Maybe I made it through. When Blake Stroller was brought in by the feds, 
he decided to cooperate. And a plan was made for him to try to get Officer William Knox to talk. Knox was one of Joe Walsh's close friends and fellow Nannery's Raider. Here's federal prosecutor Michael Horowitz. Stroller says, why don't we go meet at a school and talk and walk around the track so that no one can wire anybody? Well, it turned out Stroller's wired. And Knox tells him all the stuff we needed on tape. Including, at one point, Knox saying to Stroller, you know, my grandmother says I shouldn't even be here with you talking. And Stroller saying, your grandmother's a very smart woman. But they keep talking. And so what do we do next? We go arrest Knox. And he flips. And then we heard about the incident where Joe Walsh accidentally shot Officer Knox. In episode three, Joe Walsh told the story about accidentally shooting Billy Knox outside a bar after firing his gun in the air. My gun went off and hit Billy in the left shoulder. Now it's like, holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck, what do we do? So we come up with the story. Somebody tried to rob him, he goes to run away, and then he gets shot. And that was the story. They came up with a story about how they had been attacked by a black male. And from that false story they gave, the NYPD officers go out and put together a lineup. Neither of them picked anybody out, and it ended there. But it was unimaginable to me to think someone could have ended up convicted and in jail for a long period of time. And this is at a time when there are no cameras and cell phones around to video it, to show how false it was. On June 6, 1994, police officers from Internal Affairs arrive at Joe Walsh's house. It was a Monday morning, walking out my house. I walked down and they all converge on me. They took me and I asked them not to cuff me in front of my neighbors. They whisked me away into a car and then uh, get a block or two away, they cuff me up and then they take me up to White Plains. When I got up there, I met with Horowitz, and they told me how they got me. Billy Knox had me on wire implicating myself. I was recorded at his apartment before we were going out boozing that night. I knew I shouldn't have trusted him because he, he had bought a brand new Mustang, a 93 or 94 Mustang. Beautiful, beautiful car. And then all of a sudden, he sold it and he got like a piece of crap Dodge Dart. So at that point, I should have known. They flipped him and he, he knew things were going downhill. I should have known from there. When I talked to my attorney, he advised me to cooperate. He's like, you got to get the best deal for yourself. 
So the rest of the day, I had to tell them all my bad acts. All the collars where I lied or anything I took or anything I saw anybody else do. Did you consider yourself a rat? 100%. I consider myself a rat, 100%. I, 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 I saved my soul, just like everybody else does. When I got home, the reality sets in. You know, I let everybody down. I, I screwed up royally. You know, it's going to be embarrassment, not only for me, for my family. And it's like, my life is ruined. What am I going to do? What the fuck am I going to do? I sat down. I put the gun in the mouth and it's like, you know, you know, fucked up. But, you know, I, I made a deal. I had to live up to it. And plus, I had white carpet and white furniture, and I didn't want to ruin the furniture. A few days later, Walsh is sent back to work at the 3-0. He's told he'll be trying to get two of his best friends and fellow Nanneries Raiders, Kevin Kay and Ted Giovanello, to implicate themselves in a crime. NYPD Internal Affairs Lieutenant Dominic Zarella. So we say, all right, how are we going to do this? So we buy three tickets to the Met game and tell Joe, here, take your two friends to the Met game. We buy three more tickets for ourselves and we're going to sit behind them and monitor them. Dom Zarella is the investigator who helped get Alberto Vargas to cooperate and also gathered evidence against Alfonso Abusador Comprez. As Walsh works the day tour in the 3-0, Zarella has a microphone sewn into a pair of Walsh's pants. So I went back to my house right after the day tour. I told Kane and Juvenile I had tickets for the Met game later on that evening. I said I had to run home, get the tickets, which I had to get the pants, and I put the wired pants on. In addition to the wire sewn into his pants, which will record the audio, Zarella gives Walsh a second device, a beeper, which also has a microphone inside it. But the beeper is there to transmit the conversation back to Zarella and his team so they can listen in real time. The beeper was just for us to monitor the conversation to make sure he was safe. And he didn't realize that the real recording device was the one that we had sewn a pocket into his pant leg. So I went back, we used to call uh, headquarters, which was a little restaurant a block up from the precinct. Kane Givanel there, they were drinking, so we start drinking. And then he goes to the game and we give him our instructions, among them being, don't get drunk. He promptly decides he's gonna drink too much and they're all sloshed. The guys park, and when they begin walking towards Shea Stadium, one of them notices the beeper that Walsh is wearing. And they're like, 
what's the beeper for? I go, what's the fucking big deal? I got a beeper. I, I just got it. They're like going crazy. I, I, I swear to God, I go, you know, I'll, I'll throw it away. No big fucking deal. I throw it into the garbage pail. I know these guys inside and out. I spent every day with them. And when they found the beeper, they knew something was wrong. So, I, you know, I'm like, you know, no big deal. Throw it away. What's the big deal? Then we go into the game. A couple more beers. They were distant and cold, and you knew something was wrong. The only way we could listen real time was through the beeper, which is why we gave him the beeper. He threw it away. So I can't call time out now and say, what the fuck are you doing throwing away? The beeper's to keep you safe. You just threw it away. So we're sitting behind, a couple rows behind them, and I'm reading lips. And one guy is telling the other guy he has to be wired. So they get up to leave. And now we can't get up to leave right behind them because, you know, that would look a, you know, a little suspicious. Now we can't find them. People are starting to panic, like, oh my God. We lost them. No one knows what's happening. We've lost the transmission. That's all we know. This is code red. Everything we had prepared for, tried to avoid, we've got these knuckleheads now doing this. It was a case that, you know, can make a career. It could also end a career right away. Not only for me, but for everybody involved in this case. So we're walking to the car, walking to the car. We're parked way away. And that's where they confront me. I remember Kay saying, you know, he's married. He has a small boy and he had another baby on the way. I was going to be the godfather for one of his babies coming up. I, I, I had to tell him, I, you know, we've been through too much together. And I, I was racked with guilt. I broke down. I'm like, listen, I uh, I got pinched. I have to tell everybody we're all fucked. We're fucked. We started arguing. And that's when the guns came out. When we had the guns out, they were next to each other, so I would have, uh, things came to crap, I would have, you know, fired at whoever I was pointing at at the time. And they're pointing their gun at me, and then at that point, it's like saying to myself, yeah, I got to get out of here. This is insane. What am I going to kill my two best friends? Or they're going to kill me? Just four weeks earlier, I mean, good friends, hanging out with you know, wives and fiancés and their girlfriends hanging out, always had a good time. And now we thought we were going to shoot it out. So then I'm like, you know, 
fuck this. I took off into the weeds near Shea Stadium, near uh, the highway. Hightailed it, and then I, I heard him yelling as we were running, and I did a little, you know, serpentine, got into the high grass. I had my gun, and actually I lost my holster going through the brush. And I just doubled back and got out of there. I take the 7 train back to Manhattan, go to the precinct, grab my car, and I, I, I go home. She finally surfaces, and we have a phone call. People are fucking freaking out. They couldn't find me for hours. Everybody's going crazy. So we tell them, look, we have to meet up. I met them at a gas station in Yonkers. You know, he tells us about the beeper. So I said to him, uh, what about the other device? So he says, which one? I said, the one that we put in your pants leg. He says, oh, no, I still have that. I said, give it to me. And I took it back right away. And now I knew we were going to have the whole story. When Walsh threw away the transmitter, he still had the recording device on him. Everything that happened was on the recording device, including the gun. We immediately went out and arrested Kay, who flipped and confirmed everything we already knew from the tape. And he went and recorded Giovanello, and then we arrested Giovanello. With several of Nannery's raiders now cooperating, Horowitz finally has enough evidence to arrest and convict Sergeant Kevin Nannery himself, at this point, his primary target. Both Horowitz and Commissioner Bratton want to send a message that those in leadership positions will be held accountable. If Sergeant Nannery stays behind, how many cops are going to get trained in how to illegally kick in doors and steal money from apartments? Where does that end? If you don't get out the whole cancer, the cancer grows and others become the criminals. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best 
and the brightest. And they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. It has become an all-too-familiar sight in New York. Cops from the 30th Precinct arrested on corruption-related charges. But in this round of arrests, add two supervisors accused of being corrupt cops. They are Sergeants Richard McGauley and Kevin Nannery. Nannery is accused of being the boss of a ring known as Nannery's Raiders. Joe Walsh, William Knox, Kevin Kay, and Ted Juvenello are also accused of being part of the Raiders. They pleaded guilty on Monday and Tuesday. Another 14 officers are picked up in the next wave of arrests in the 30th Precinct, including Joe Walsh. And once again, Commissioner Bratton pays a visit to the 3-0 to speak with the cops on duty and the media outside. We're here with the police commissioner, William Bratton. Is this the beginning of the end as far as the 30th Precinct is concerned? Well, I think it's pretty much the end. There's some uh, house cleaning to be done with the bulk of the problems in this precinct and now behind it. What I'm feeling comfortable about is that there's a willingness on our part, a capability on our part, to get in very early on and nip it in the bud, to not push it under the rug or look the other way. You're not going to find anybody in this department saying they're afraid to bring bad news to the commissioner, which were some of the assertions by, some of the amazing assertions by very senior commanders in this department to previous administrations. Uh, no, in terms of we'll deal with it as it comes. And what about that nickname, Dirty 30? Is, is that Well, gone? Dirty 30 is, uh, from my perspective, is gone. By the fall of 1994, 33 policemen from the 3-0 had been arrested. The estimate at the time is that just 1% of the nearly 40,000 NYPD officers are engaged in corruption. In the 3-0, almost 17% are arrested. It's the single most for any one precinct in NYPD history. 29 of the 33 either pled guilty or were convicted at trial. John Arena, George Nova's partner, was acquitted. Alberto Vargas and George Alvarez, who both wore wires inside the precinct, served no time. Billy Knox, the officer shot by Joe Walsh outside a bar, was sentenced to six months. Ted Giovanello, also six months. George Nova, a year and a day. Kevin Kay, also a year and a day. Josh Rivera, 16 months. Kevin Nannery, one to three years. Mike Walsh, three years. Blake Stroller, four years. And Alfonso Comprez, five years. Because of his cooperation in helping to get Operation Domino rolling, Wanchi, the owner of the bodega, received no time in prison. Joe Walsh, 
was sentenced to nine months. From 89 to 94, I mean, it was, it was a great ride, you know. I guess the main takeaway is the love and support you have from your family. I guess that's the biggest thing that I've gotten out of this. Even though I fucked up over and over and over again, I still had the support there, which thankfully I still have to this day. And, you know, even with all this crap, I learned a valuable lesson, you know. What was a valuable lesson? Uh, Don't commit crimes with anybody else. No, just uh, how family is the bedrock and you're going to have people that come through your life. You're always going to have your family. Even after all the time I had spent talking to Joe Walsh, his joke here caught me off guard and it made me wonder where he truly stood with all of this. How much money do you estimate that you took in your career? 40K. Not enough. What do you mean by not enough? I shouldn't take. I shouldn't have taken any, but I guess if I was going to take, I should have taken a whole lot more. Wait, so I'm confused. I just want you to specify what you mean. The amount of money I took was uh, stupid because either I should have taken everything and everything I could have gotten, but in reality, I should have taken nothing. Why do you talk about this? Why do I talk about this? Uh, the reason why I guess I'm coming out now is how I fucked up and hopefully no, it prevents other people from having to go through what I've gone through. But I guess the question also is why weren't more, uh, uh, guys taken, you know, even if not, if not criminally taken departmentally and taken off the job that way, because it was all over, all over the city. It was systemic throughout the whole thing. Maybe they weren't stealing money. Maybe they, they weren't uh, uh, taking guns or whatever. A lie is a lie. Doesn't matter how you cut it up. A lie is a lie. If you're going to do something, you got to go across the board. When you rip a Band-Aid off, you can't do it halfway. You got to do it all the way. I think the police department, they, you know, they had their one bad precinct. They didn't want it to go any further. They can say, listen, this is what we did. Rah, rah, we got the bad guys, which I, I was. You know, I don't blame them for that. But they should have done more. I guess you go in with great intentions, and it's the supervisors that set the tone for everything. And if you have the bad supervisors, you know, that condone everything and let things go and are there... I don't know. It, it all comes down to having the balls to say, no, I'm not doing this. That's what it comes down to. I'm only going to make the rest the right way so I can do my 20, get a pension and go. I guess you should just put your head down, write your 25 summonses, 10 moving violations, the three red lights and call it a day. So what have you to say to that? Is that the way it should be done? I... I, 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 if I had the chance to do it again, I probably would have done the same thing. So you would have made the same decisions? I guess I would have made the same decision just because I, I wanted to, you know, go out there and chase the bad guys and, you know, I'd make the arrest. Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't take the money, you know, or something along those lines. 
but I think I would have probably fibbed in court to get the bad guy in jail. Even knowing what you know now? Even, I guess, even knowing what I know now, you know? But it's, it's, it's I still want the bad guys in jail. I still want to chase the bad guys. I can, I can go out there today. When the city says they can't find guns, oh my God. You give me a couple guys from the 3 0, we'll, we'll clean it up easy. One, two, three. What do you think people are going to think about you when they hear your story? I guess you, uh, there's going to be a large majority of cops saying that uh, he is a piece of shit. He shouldn't have done it. He got exactly what he wanted. And people listening to me, uh, they, they can say, oh, you know, he meant to do the right thing. He tried to do the right thing. He wanted to get out of that situation. He just got dragged down into the mud, you know, and that's how it was. That's standard operating procedure. Do you want to go against everybody and be a pariah? Everybody wants, I, I, I guess everybody wants to be accepted. So I just went with the flow and the flow happened to fall into a river of shit, but what can you do? On the final episode of The Set. I was trying to do the right thing. I wasn't some psycho that was reporting corruption and then doing something else on the other side. The turf war between the Mullen Commission and the DA's office comes to a head. I felt that, you know, I got a problem here. This guy's after me. And Barry Brown is caught squarely in the middle. I remember I denied it at first because I didn't know what else to do. But there was no denying it. The set is created, written, and directed by me, Zach Levitt. Executive produced by me and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Perry Kroll and Ian Mont. Edited by Perry Kroll and Alistair Sherman. Research by me and Ian Mont. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Original music by Joel Goodman. Marketing, PR, production coordination, sales, and operations by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, Hilary Schuff, Lauren Vieira, Lucas Santrone, Sean Cherry, Lizzie Roberti, and Danny Cutrick. With special thanks to J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Leah Reese-Dennis, Tim Clark, Craig Cox, Callum Togus, Rob Morandi, and Eric Donnelly. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of The Set. Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.